Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and we have a very special episode. This week, I actually have developer from Wooji Juice who makes the incredible app Ferrite for iPad. Canis has joined us this week. Canis, thanks for joining us. Hello, and thanks for inviting me on. So, Canis, the first thing I, I have to say, I just want to thank you personally because you've made one of my favorite apps probably ever. I've I've mentioned it many times on Apple Insider and other podcasts, but I edit three to four podcasts a week and I do it all exclusively in Ferrite on iPad. And using Ferrite on iPad with an Apple Pencil, it is just an incredible experience. It allows me to edit podcasts incredibly fast. So first of all, just want to say incredible job and thank you, Candice, for making Ferrite. It's amazing. That's very kind of you to say. I'm glad to hear you're finding it useful. When we put apps out into the world, they just kind of go off and live their own life. So it's nice to hear that when people are actually using it and sort of hearing the stuff that they make with it. Oh, absolutely. And well, first, let me ask you this. So the company's name is Wooji Juice. That's right. And, and I learned your name for the first time today, right before we jumped on. But where does that name come from, Wooji Juice? So before I founded Wooji Juice, I used to work in the games industry. Many years ago, I worked at a company with a, and also an unusual name of Mucky Foot Productions. <laughs> and while I was there, we would be discussing you know, new game ideas and... Uh, we'd sort of be starting with sort of the game design, the the gameplay, rather than the graphics or the characters of the world. And we would sort of know that we'd want to do things like a protagonist with some kind of abilities, special abilities, powers, whatever that might be. Mm. But we didn't, because we hadn't decided what the 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 world of the game was yet, we didn't know if that would be magic or if it would be uh, cybernetic enhancements or kind of uh, more traditional superhero powers or whatever it would be <laughs> so we would just refer to it as woody it was just the, the the magic stuff the special abilities whatever it is it's just it's woody we'll sort it out later love it i love it and so <laughs> that's where that comes from is just it's sort of magic stuff and i guess it comes from the fact that when i was starting out i was inspired by companies like uh, Delicious Monster and their Delicious Library. <laughs> and this is going back quite a ways now, you know, a good 15 years maybe. And how they were doing things like using the webcam to scan the barcodes on books to scan them into your library. Mm. And we kind of take that for granted now, but it was pretty amazing back then. Sure. And so that idea of taking the abilities of the computer or the phone or whatever it was and just adding a little bit of magic to things would be nice. I love that. Now, I might enter that into my lexicon now, just in daily conversation, the Wooji. <laughs> That's amazing. Before we jump into all the App Store conversation too, again, Ferrite is just such an awesome app, especially for podcasters. What made you want to develop that one specifically? What uh, Did you see a space in the market for something like Ferrite or was it just a personal passion? What made you do it? So again, this goes back to games, oddly enough, is that um, we just used to make games and may still do so at some point. I, I like making games, mm. um, but it's kind of difficult to, you know, some very competitive space in the App Store. Right. I was working with somebody who was producing the music for one of our games and their studio flooded. Mm. So they were unable to work, but they did have an iPad. And that sort of set me to thinking about making iPad apps for producing audio. Mm. And um, Wujuduce has made a variety of synthesizers and audio editors over the years. Around that time, uh, we brought out an app called uh, Hawksai, 
which is more of a wave editor. I kind of, I compare it to Ferrite sort of by saying, if you think about an app like Sketch or Illustrator or a, a page layout app, like uh, Aldous PageMaker back in the day or... Quark. <laughs> yeah, Quark Express. That's the one I was trying to think of. That's kind of what Ferrite is, but for audio. Mm. Whereas Hawksay is more like... Um, Photoshop for audio, it's much more about the individual pixels rather than laying out projects. Mm. Only in this case, it's the individual samples rather than pixels. Well, Hogsay was created as a tool for us to be able to make sound effects for our games on the iPad without having to need a, a studio. Mm-hmm. And it's been in the App Store ever since. But we heard from a lot of people trying to make podcasts or audiobooks or other longer form audio with it, which it really wasn't designed for. It was much more about intense editing of very short pieces of audio for sound effects and so on, where hmm. you know, it might only be a few seconds long, but it has many, many layers and complex processing to sort of get it to sound just right. Hmm. So they were kind of struggling trying to use a tool designed for that to produce podcasts or you know, other longer form audio. Eventually, I got fed up of being able to not having a good answer for them. <laughs> and, you know, looking at things like GarageBand and sort of seeing that it had quite a limited recording duration and and, and to even get, yeah, that's kind of where it came from, is to sort of fulfill that need that we were hearing from people about. Not having a good answer, I thought it was about time to make one. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad you did. So how long have you been publishing apps to the App Store, especially paid apps? Uh, since the outset. We had an app in the App Store on day one when it opened. Okay, what was that? Uh, that was a, a remote control for Keynote, sort of like a, a clicker, if you like, for oh. Keynote, but it did other things as well. You could view your slides and your presenter's notes on the phone, and you could use it as a sort of, almost like a laser pointer. You could tap the screen and it would highlight the matching spot up on the big screen, if you see what I mean. Was that available before Apple's first party solution? Uh, yes, it was. And so we got Sherlocked. And so that right. isn't on sale anymore. <laughs> That's interesting that we might have to come back to that later. But I think I might have used that app, actually, because I remember that was something that would have, you know, it made sense from the outset. Oh, my goodness, we have this iPhone device. It'd be great to use it as a remote. And uh, I remember there being an app <laughs> early on, not from Apple, that that gave you that ability. So, man, super interesting. So since you've been in it from the beginning, obviously the 30% commission rate that Apple has charged developers has been around since the beginning. And developers felt, you know, there's all kinds of different feelings about it. We had Paul Kafasas from Rogue Amoeba on a couple months ago to discuss his feelings about it. So my question to you is when you started, obviously you've had apps in there since the beginning, did that 30% cut did it make it difficult to kind of get started or to launch apps in the App Store? And did you feel like it was a lot for a commission rate from the outset? It's sort of hard to say, partly because it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, um, sure, sure. It, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, it's a huge amount compared to credit card processing fees, for example. Right. And at the outset, the App Store wasn't available in as many countries as it is today. Hmm. But at the same time, it was also a lot smaller. So on the one hand, that meant there were less people, but also there weren't as many competitors. Hmm. Also, because the phone itself was a lot more expensive, I think people who had actually splashed out that much to buy an iPhone, perhaps more likely to actually then spend a little bit more to make it do things beyond what it did out of the box, which wasn't nearly as much as it does out of the box today. Right. So it's such a different landscape now to what it was back then. It's hard to make a, a direct 
<laughs> right. apples to apples comparison. So recently, I mean, the the commission rate, you know, just changed, and we'll get to that change shortly. But so in the last few years, how did the thirty percent commission feel to you as a developer? The way I look at it is sort of in terms of value for money, which is that they're taking this amount, and it's a large amount. As I say, it's way more than credit card processing fees. And the question is, are they delivering on that value? And it varies. Sometimes I feel more like they are. Sometimes I feel more like they aren't. Um, (laughs) Certainly there are times when it's extremely frustrating, but there are also times when they come out with some new technology and we think, oh, that's great. An obvious example is Swift, which I love Swift. I know not every developer does, but it's Hmm. one of the best things that's happened to us. It was mixed feelings, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, mixed feelings is how I would sum it up. Certainly when you submit a minor update and it gets bounced back for some weird reason and you go, are you sure? And they go, well, they don't actually say anything at all, but they just accept it silently as though nothing had happened. <laughs> and you're like, I guess you weren't sure, but you're not going to admit it. And you kind of think, I'm glad it's published now, but imagine if... Apple paid 30% of their revenue to one single supplier, Mm. and that supplier just randomly held them up for two days for no good reason. Mm. Do you think Apple would put up with that? (laughs) (laughs) No, and and that's an interesting point because Apple has to work with some larger vendors, such as like Amazon, and it came out during the antitrust hearings here in the US that like Amazon Prime Video was able to get, you know, a 15% deal with Apple from the outset rather than the 30% that most developers like yourself have no option but to just accept it. Mm-hmm. And so what? how did yeah. that hit you when you heard, of, or maybe you even knew about these before, but knowing that there was kind of this double standard with some, you know, companies, what did that make you feel like as a developer? So if I was a competitor with Amazon, um, I would probably be a lot more annoyed because they would be getting an unfair advantage against me. Sure. I'm not. So on one hand, I kind of, you know, it makes no difference directly to me how much Amazon does or doesn't pay. Hmm. On the other hand, it is frustrating because Apple have said, oh, we treat all developers the same. And <laughs> right. this kind of says that that's not true. And so we know that Amazon can get better rates because of who they are, because they are so huge and because they're so strategically important. Right. And we also know that we aren't. (laughs) So that's the frustrating bit is knowing that we aren't in a position to negotiate with Apple about anything, whether that's about the, the cut or whether it's about App Store rules or whatever else it might be. A company like Amazon with that, with its might, can sort of push back on Apple in a way that small indie developers can't. So the announcement that just happened recently was Apple announced the small business program for developers, Mm -hmm. meaning that if you earn less than a million dollars in a calendar year, that they will, you can apply, there's an application process, and you can apply to have your commission rate drop down to 15%. So only 15% gets paid to Apple and now you get 85 Tell me just your initial thoughts. Did you ever think this would happen? Did you ever think Apple would drop to 15%? And how did you feel when you heard about this? So Apple did a thing a while back where they made the second year onwards of subscriptions Mm -hmm. drop to 15%. Right. So there was sort of that precedent, but I was surprised. Yeah, I always thought that if they were going to do something like this, it would be more like the subscriptions where there was some kind of catch 
Mm. Maybe cash isn't quite the right word, but, you know, you would have to somehow earn into it in the same way that you had to have at least a year of subscription or something that would trigger it rather than it just being from the outset. Right. And I'm not quite sure what that would be in the case of, you know, non-subscription purchases. But so I was a little surprised that it was as broad as it is. Uh, I expected it to be sort of a much narrower group of people if they were going to do it at all. Of course, I'm, I'm glad that they are doing it as, as broadly <laughs> sure. as they are. Well, I just learned just before we jumped on, as we jumped on, that you're you're a one man show. Yeah, I mean, all the apps that come from Wooji Juice is is from your hands, and so Ferrite, it's a one man show. And so, what what does this mean for you? I mean, this is you know a lot of developers were really happy about it when it was announced. Well, we don't know what the details are of application. If it, I mean, I'm hoping it's going to be fairly straightforward, and it's just to weed out people trying to do funny business like trying to split up their company into like right. three companies each of which is under the limit or whatever it might be so assuming it is straightforward then that sounds great i'm looking forward to it if it turns out there are some weird catches we'll have to see what those are mm. but you know because there's just very little information available at the moment do you think the one million dollar threshold is you know, I've heard some some ratios and numbers that, you know, a far, far majority of iOS developers and macOS developers are under this threshold, something like 80 to 90%. And so most developers will hopefully be able to apply and get this 15%. And it's really just the big guys, namely people like Epic Games and Fortnite, which is ironic because they were the ones making the biggest noise over the summer. <laughs> but do, do you think that $1 million threshold is a good number for this program? Yeah, I think it is. Um, it's funny though, because it's kind of, it's not the big guys so much as the medium to big guys. Because of course, if you are Netflix or Amazon, you can negotiate a special deal anyway. Mm. And if you're a, a tiny developer, then you're under the, the the limit. So it's the ones in between, which is kind of odd, really, when you think about it. Right. But yeah, I, I think that's that's quite a high threshold to meet is a, a million dollars. So I'm not surprised that the vast majority of developers do slide under that. Given that you apply for this program and you personally, you get in and now, you know, you have down to 15% uh, commission in the App Store. Do you think that that's a reasonable deal long-term, that 15% going forward you know, for the foreseeable future is a good split between Apple and developers? Uh, it seems a lot more reasonable, yeah. I think that you know, it's still steep compared to credit card terms. Uh, sure. Sorry, credit card processing fees. Right. Given what they do, as long as they... I think it goes back to what I was saying before about value for money, which is that the bit that bothers a lot of developers i suspect is not so much the money but the combination of the money and how they're treated by apple and so if you're paying 30 percent of your income to apple that's a significant amount of money every year you know even if you only hire yeah, a single developer at a tech industry salary to hmm. be able to support that and all the overheads right that means that at a minimum you're paying apple tens of thousands a year hmm. so you kind of want good customer service from a company you're paying tens of thousands to every year. Right, sure. <laughs> so I think that's the angle that I would approach that from. Right. In terms of the 15%, I think it's a, a pretty good split, you know, if they're delivering on that sort of customer service end of thing. Right. Because, I mean, they are doing stuff beyond just uh, providing downloads. You know, they're taking care of mm -hmm. things like 
sales taxes in a hundred different countries around the world and stuff like that. Right. So it's more than just credit card processing that they're doing. Right. At the same time, they often like to say that they're they're bringing the customer to you. And I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> I think that the customer is typing things into Google and that's sending them to right. us. But okay. Let me ask you, have you ever been featured or like editors pick apps in the app store? Occasionally, but uh, I don't think it's ever happened in the UK. So I don't think I've ever actually seen it. I've sort of seen the fact that it has happened pop up on a, a monitoring site. You know, there's... um. Mm. Sites that track the app store for, you know, and notify you of events like this. But I've never actually seen it. And it's usually been in countries that my apps aren't localized for, which seems an odd choice. Because, mm. you know, Ferrite's available in about five different languages. And then it gets featured in a country that doesn't speak those languages, you know, as its primary language. So right. that's odd. Um, that so is I'm strange. not sure if it helps a huge <laughs> amount in that situation. Uh, a big feature in America or the UK might make a bigger dent. So you don't know if you've ever been featured in America? I don't know if I have. I can't remember offhand. Okay. I mean, again, it's been 12 years I, across that span. I think maybe in, you know how they have different kinds of feature and some of them are a big focus feature where they say, right. this is one article about one app and then they have yeah. um, features that are more like uh, a list of apps and it's just an icon and a short description right i think it might have been featured in some of those lists but i don't think it's been in a full-on you know focal focal point feature so for the most part there's not really been a time when apple has helped get you a bunch of sales it seems like it doesn't feel like it no right how do you market how do you try to reach new customers uh, we don't really have a marketing budget. <laughs> right. It's mostly just word of mouth and sort of trying to be friendly and approachable on Twitter when people have questions and, yeah, just making an app that people like using and like 10 other people that they've been using. Right, for sure. So when I had Paul Kafasas on the show, he makes, you know, uh, Rogue Amoeba makes audio apps for the Mac. Mm -hmm. And he has the advantage of he can sell those and you can download them outside of the Mac App Store. And he has a majority of his apps not in the App Store. Mm. For your apps, obviously on iOS, you don't have that ability. If you did have the option to allow customers to download and then install or sideload the apps onto the iPad, like if I wanted to buy Ferrite directly from your website, um, maybe, you know, obviously the, the percentage would be less. You're not paying Apple the App Store Commission. Is that something that you would choose to do if it was available? I think it would depend on what the alternative was. I mean, in the case that you described there of selling it directly from the WeJuice website, I probably wouldn't. But if it was more like they opened up to alternative app stores, it would depend on what the alternative app store was like. Mm. Again, that's partly because of dealing with things like sales taxes in hundreds of countries. Right. It's a distraction that I don't want to have to, you know, spend a lot of time on. So, um, and that gets quite complex because of there's a, uh, there's VAT tax laws across Europe and then the UK has left Europe and that makes things even more complex. Whereas if you have a digital storefront operated by someone else, they're liable to mm. you know, by law they have to handle that i would want to use somebody for that it might not be apple if there was a really good alternative 
if the only alternative was selling it from your website, I would probably stick with Apple. Okay, interesting. So as we round out here, uh, Big Sur is out, M1, Apple Silicon Macs are out. I have one of my M1 MacBook Pros right here. And Very nice. you tweeted recently because one of the big features of the M1 Macs and Big Sur is that you can straight up download iOS apps, iPhone or iPad apps, and just run them on an M1 Mac with basically, quote unquote, no work from the developer. It'll just run. Mm-hmm. And the developer just has to choose to put it in the Mac App Store. Yeah. And, and you tweeted, you're not going to see Ferrite on there just yet because it's just not a good experience. So... Why don't you tell us why not? You know, what was your experience if you tried it directly on one of those M1 Macs or Apple Silicon Macs? And and what are you trying to do? Do you hope to put it on the Mac? And will it is it easy or is it actually a lot of work? The short answer is yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, I've been working on a Mac version of Ferrite hmm. on and off because I keep getting pulled off to work on things like adding new iPad features or updated versions of iOS or whatever. But on and off for over a year now. So it's a lot of work, but it's work that makes the app belong on the Mac rather than just being there. And (laughs) in terms of what difference that makes, if you've used a remote desktop app on the iPad and tried to control a Mac app using the iPad, you know you can do it, but it (laughs) feels weird. Yes. And it's just not right. And it's exactly the same the other way around. And I think a lot of developers intuitively know this because we often test our apps in the simulator on the Mac, which if your listeners don't know, it's part of Xcode. Right. Uh, As its name suggests, it simulates uh, an iOS device as a little window on your Mac. Right. And so we've been trying this out for uh, a decade or more and know just how weird it is trying to use iOS interfaces with uh, a system that isn't designed for it. Right. So it's partly just that in terms of the interface. It's obviously one of the first things I tried last year when Catalyst was first out was just mm-hmm. try recompiling it, trying it out to see what it was like on a Mac uh, using Catalyst. And that's basically the experience you get with these kind of um, ARM Mac emulating iOS. Hmm. Well, at first it didn't work at all, <laughs> uh, but eventually I got it working. It's weird because it is just kind of like having a remote desktop into an iPad in a little window on your screen. Right. And so that means that, for example, you can't just open an audio file from Finder because everything is inside this sort of sandbox in a in a single window. Mm. Whereas what you want to do is just be able to, you know... Drag in an MP3. Yeah. Handling files needs to be completely rewritten for the Mac version. Mm. A lot of user interface stuff needs to be rewritten. There's lots of stuff like... um Obviously, on the Mac, you really want to be using the menu bar a whole lot more. The various sort of pop-ups just don't suit the Mac at all. It's kind of ironic. I did a bunch of work to make panels on the Mac slide down from the top of the screen in the same way that, you know, sheets do on macOS Catalina and earlier, Hmm. only to have Apple change the way that the sheets work (laughs) on Big Sur. (laughs) Right. So there's stuff like that. And then there's, in order to make file handling work properly on the Mac so that you can just drag files in from anywhere and have them work, uh, that means that those need to be handled differently from the way that audio files are handled on iOS. But I suspect a large part of the reason that people want to use Ferrite on the Mac 
isn't just because they prefer the Mac, although many may also do that, right. but also because people want to be able to start a project on the Mac and finish it on the iPad or vice versa, mm. which means that I have to come up with something that works on both and hands off seamlessly between them. Right. This just keeps adding more and more work, which is why... <laughs> It's been, you know, over a year and there isn't a Mac version of Ferrite sure. publicly available yet. It sounds complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> it is. But I hope that it will be worth it when it's done and it feels like an actual Mac app instead of like a weird three levels of indirection right. thing inside, stuck inside <laughs> of a emulated window. Right. Well, for my last question, and this is the reason why I love Ferrite on iPad is because the Apple Pencil makes editing a podcast specifically for me, just an awesome experience. And, you know, there were some rumors that, you know, as these new M1 Macs come out, everyone says Big Sur, it basically looks like it's optimized for touch, maybe touchscreen, you know, screens will be coming. Do you personally, would you like to see a touchscreen Mac, maybe one where you can utilize the Apple Pencil on it? So if someone enjoys editing podcasts in Ferrite on their iPad, like myself, they can basically have the same experience on the Mac. What do you think? You would, would you like touchscreen Macs one day? I'm not against it, but it's not something that I'm personally looking forward to. Yeah. That sounds more negative than I mean it, but I'm just saying that uh, I'm not sitting here going, oh, give me the touchscreen Macs. I'm very happy using a Mac with uh, a mouse and a keyboard and a trackpad. And I'm very happy using an iPad with touch and pencil. Yeah. Uh, I feel like each of those feels right for their particular environment. If Apple do bring out touchscreen Macs as well, that's great. We'll support it. But if they don't, it's not personally going to be something that I'll miss. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Yeah, and I think I agree because one of my favorite pastimes is once I'm done recording a podcast, like we're just about to finish this one, I'm going to go sit on my sofa with my iPad, Apple Pencil, and Ferrite and edit it over there. And I don't know what Mac would fit as well in that position sitting on a sofa editing. I don't imagine a laptop. I don't think I'm going to bring an iMac on the sofa to do that. It really feels like the iPad is is meant for that Apple Pencil and kind of touch interface. But Candice, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about your experience. Um, I'm going to obviously plug Ferrite a ton more, but if there's anything that you would like to point people to uh, from Wooji Juice or from yourself, what would you like people to go to follow to see? Uh, you can find Wooji Juice at wooji-juice.com. Uh, that's W-O-O-J-I and juice as in fruit juice <laughs> on Twitter at Wooji, spelled the same way. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Absolutely. So listeners, I'll put those links in show notes, but interested in podcasting, if you podcast, if you just want to see an awesome app for podcasting, I highly, highly recommend Ferrite on iPad. I use it every week to edit three to four shows. I absolutely love the app. And so I'll put a link directly in show notes to that app for iPad. And it's on the iPhone too. And I actually use it on both. Sometimes if I need to record something on the go or even you know, plug a little microphone into my iPhone, I will use Ferrite to just kind of record it and I can even edit it right there. It's just an incredible app. So check that out. And once again, Candice, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you.